0: Four, three, two, one. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the 55th episode of the Atlas Society Asks. My name is Jennifer Anju Grossman. My friends know me as JAG. I'm the CEO of the Atlas Society. We are the leading nonprofit organization introducing young people to the ideas of Ayn Rand in creative ways like our animated videos, graphic novels, uh, and of course our webinars. So today we are joined by John Mackey, a man who needs very little introduction. um, But before I even get into listing some of his accomplishments, I wanted to uh, remind all of you who are joining us, watching us on Zoom, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Use the comment section to type in your questions. We promise we'll get to as many of them as we can. So John is someone I've known for a long time, actually even before I came to the Atlas Society, uh, when I was also in the food business at Dole Food Company, of course. He is the co-founder and the CEO of Whole Foods Market. He has led the natural and organic grocer to a $13 billion Fortune 500 company with more than 370 stores, including, uh, as of the past couple of years, one here in Malibu, and 80,000 team members in three countries. Whole Foods has been named by Fortune magazine as uh, a best company to work for for at least 16 consecutive years. John is, of course, a a strong believer in free market principles. Uh, He co-founded the Conscious Capitalism Movement and he co-authored the New York Times best-selling book, Conscious Capitalism, Liberating the Heroic Spirit of Business, and more recently, Conscious Leadership, Elevating Humanity Through Business. We're gonna talk a bit about those, John. Welcome, thanks for joining us.
1: Thanks for having me on, Jennifer. I, the, the uh, that information is several years out of date. So I'll make a quick correction. Um, we're up to 21 billion in sales, 105,000 team members. And uh, we were named one of the 100 best companies to work for for 20 consecutive years. So it was just business keeps changing and growing. And sometimes the uh, research departments get old data. <laughs>
0: Spectacular. Well, thank thank you for the correction. Um, so, John, let's uh, let's start from the beginning. You grew up in Texas. You studied religion and philosophy at the University of Austin before starting your first health food store. Um, what drew you to those subjects? And is there an alternate reality where John Mackey would have gone on to become, oh, I don't know, a pastor? Or a philosopher.
1: I did. I did go on to become both of those, but just <laughs> in the context of uh, being an entrepreneur, which was, which is my true calling. Uh, when you're very young, you you try on lots of different, try on different beliefs. You try on different lifestyles. Try on different friends. You try on different potential life partners, and uh, that's how you learn how. You, that's that's how you really learn who you are. So, um, but no, I, I self-identify as, a, uh, as an entrepreneur because I wanted to do something in the world. I didn't just want, I wanted to build something. I wanted to create something. I, I didn't want to just um, interpret the world or write about the world. I like doing that too. And I've written a few books and I've got a few more in me, but uh, I don't think I would have been fulfilled just thinking and writing and, and trying to influence people. I, I wanted to take my ideas and, and, and put, put them into reality, create something with it. And business, building Whole Foods has definitely been challenging, but it's been so much fun. It's, a, it's an adventure. I feel like my life has been an adventure and it still is. And uh, it seems to be getting better all the time.
0: What's your favorite part of your job? Visiting stores?
1: I do enjoy seeing the stores and in, in connecting with team members, but also customers and, and suppliers. When they know I'm coming, they tend to wait wait for me to get a picture taken or sign a book or something. Um, but I, I like the creative part of business. I mean, that's as an entrepreneur, that's what draws entrepreneurs to be able to create things. So. Uh, giving feedback on stores and helping stores evolve and and get better. Um, I know that I still enjoy real estate a lot because that's when still every site that Whole Foods has ever done, I've always signed off on every single one of them, not by myself, but the team has. And we have a tremendous track record of success and avoiding a lot of mistakes by not picking bad locations that you'll be stuck with for many, 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 many years and pay lots of rent. And even if you close them down, you're still paying rent. So that, that's a very important decisions. I also really, really enjoy, I just enjoy my team. I enjoy, at the end of the day, when you do something for 43 years, it is a labor of love. And I've, I haven't done this by myself, obviously. I've done it with people that I love and care. It's, I think it's a little bit like the kind of bonding that, that if you're in the Marines that you might have and you you come out and those are the people you're going to be closest to the rest of your lives and people that that I've created Whole Foods with and we built a company together that I've done it for so many years. So those are people besides my, you know, my family that I'm I'm closest to. That's the part that is deeply most fulfilling. It's the relationships and being to do something together and build something together. I mean, it's not you can see that at the Atlas Society. If you're if you're if you're this nonprofit is growing and you're doing that with a team and you're sharing in the successes and sharing in the in the in the setbacks as well. And that that bonding, those connections, those relationships, they're deep and they're rich and they make life meaningful.
0: So um, in, in college, you were a democratic socialist, if I understand, uh, clearly given the growing popularity of socialism among the younger generation, you were ahead of your time, uh, yet you evolved to become a free market libertarian. Um, what were the experiences, the, the teachers the, or the writings that advanced your evolution in that direction?
1: I can't remember exactly who said this, but I think it. I think it's true, and it goes something like: if by the time you're 21, you you're not a socialist, then you don't have any heart. But if by the time you get to 30, if you still are, you don't have any brains. And and I think that's true. I think that when you're adolescent and you're young, you look around at a world. If you've grown up in a family, if you've grown up in a loving family, then. You have a background of being taken care of and being loved and, and you don't understand why the whole world doesn't work that way. You get out and the world is competitive and people don't care about you particularly. And uh, uh, you project onto the society, gee, it ought to be like a family. We evolved as tribal animals where we did have more, <clears throat> more of a family type relationship with our tribe. Uh, and so people yearn for that but humanity was also stuck in a tribal form and in small communities for a long time and we didn't we were we didn't progress very much we didn't we didn't create um yeah you know, life was short we didn't have edu- you know i mean you just go back 200 years ago and 94 percent of the people alive lived on less than two dollars a day the average lifespan was 30 the literacy rates were over 88 across the world it was a uh, it was a Hobbesian world of nasty British and short. So you look around and you think, gosh, you know, some have so much and some have so little when you're young and your heart goes out and it doesn't seem to be fair, you don't know very much, and you project out onto the society, we ought to be a, more like a family and we ought to share everything. So I think that's where socialism originates. And it's very—it's always attractive to the young who, who are don't have self esteem or may not have that much self confidence or are not sure what they're going to do in the world where they fit in, whether they actually are going to be, you know, unsuccessful in life. Um, But then as you get older and you see how the amazing things that capitalism has done to 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 bring humanity to a higher level. you you let that go because you you can still be a caring compassionate person and help other people but trying to design a society socialism doesn't work it's been tried 42 times in the last 100 years and it's failed 42 times and why the heck anybody that's rational would think well this time will make it better it'll be different this time it's just you know they're crazy it won't be it'll be a disaster and it doesn't matter who's doing it it doesn't uh, fundamentally doesn't work and i mean china look at china now is this sort of hybrid society but when they were purely communistic they were a terrible poor with starvation and famine and i mean one of the when i was a little boy that you're supposed to eat all your food so that you know they're starving people in china and they liberalize their economy more, they began to create more prosperity. Same thing with India, which went through decades and decades after World War II and after getting out of the, uh, the British Empire where they were where they were socialists and they were they weren't they were super poor. So uh, yeah you learn things as you go through life. And one of the things I learned is that socialism doesn't work, capitalism does. And we need more capitalism. We have an unequal distribution of capitalism in the world, and that's why we have so much poverty still.
0: So, yeah, you you know, you talk about how, why in the world would anybody want to try this again? It's failed dozens of times. It's caused untold suffering, and yet, you know, here we are. It's like Groundhog Day. Every
1: generation Um, has to learn their lessons for themselves, it seems. They don't Most people are Jennifer. Most people are. They don't study history. They don't. I mean, they just and they. They're not taught how to think clearly. They don't know how to be skeptical and question things, and and uh, they just believe the propaganda that's thrown out their way. Uh, When I debate young people that are socialists, and I've done it several times, they're incredibly ignorant about history. Or they have some other interpret. They interpret American history now as just a this tale of woe of exploitation of the Native Americans, enslaving blacks, conquering Mexico. It's all just a narrative of shame. And the tremendous things that you know, there are bad things that Americans happen in American history to be sure. But that leaves out the, the the tale of triumph, that of progress, of economic progress, but also ethical, moral progress. We aren't the same nation we were 200 years ago or 100 years ago or even 50 years ago. America has made tremendous progress and we're evolving. We're becoming more awake, more conscious, more, um, just more developed.
0: I I think the other reason, it's not just the uh, historical illiteracy or the Lack of critical thinking skills; it's um, the the failure to defend capitalism, not just on consequential grounds that it leads to to better results and to reduced poverty, but to defend it a priori on ethical grounds that it provides an individual with self ownership. It doesn't constrain uh, the rights of others. It um, and and also I think. know I think you're very generous that yes there may be altruistic idealistic um, impulses wanting to share but I think that there is also a lot of envy uh, a desire for the unearned which Ayn Rand uh, that's what how she described greed was a desire for the unearned a sense of entitlement sense of victimhood and um, and it, it, I believe it's it's important to to also call out those motivations uh, while. I perhaps... agree.
1: You're absolutely right.
0: So um, you uh, in in 2006, you know, you've talked about Whole Foods as uh, as a labor of love. Um, well, you put your money where your mouth was um, and uh, announced you were reducing your salary to a dollar a year and, and donating your stock portfolio to charity. Uh, no, no, not my stock
1: portfolio, I donated my stock options. Stock to,
0: options. Okay, thank you. I still you. own my um, stock, so I'm, I'm a wealthy
1: <laughs> man. I did not uh, take a vow of poverty. <laughs>
0: um, but that said, you know, I, I've i seen you. You travel very, very frugally. You know, you, you don't live a, a lavish life. I mean, it's... Uh, it, doesn't seem to be the trappings of a material sec- success uh, in terms of how you have um, measured your progress in in life. But um, I guess you know the, the question is: Would you want to see other uh, CEOs following your example? You know, is there is there something wrong with wanting to to work for for money and to achieve wealth?
1: No, of course not. And. I mean, just to clear the record, I mean, I'm, I'm a very wealthy man, and I, I, human beings are complex. We are both self-interested, and we are also caring. We, we're both, and you can't understand human beings unless you understand the complexity of human beings. We have a lot of different motivations. We are not cardboard characters. We are... Um, we have a lot of different motivations. We have a lot, almost have a lot of different selves that express themselves through our lives. So, no, it's fine to work for money. I mean, I mean, we—that's—that's that's a very important thing. I mean, we, it's important that we support ourselves and we support our families, and and we do that through through work and saving and investing and uh, uh, living and consuming less than we uh, than we earn. Ultimately, that's. The real secret to wealth over time is to reduce your spending, be beneath what you actually earn, save and invest the rest of it and let compounding work its magic over time. I mean, I've read recently that Warren Buffett's net worth is increased. I mean, he's, he's, 90% of his total net worth has been created since he, he turned 65. So he was wealthy when he was 65, but he's far wealthier today because compounding just keeps working and working and working. And if you live a long time and you, and you realize the power of an investing and patience, then the compounding works for you as well. It is working for me. So um, I, I don't, I think working for my, I certainly work partly for money. I mean. Remember, I didn't. I still owned all of my stock. Didn't own all my stock in Whole Foods, but I still owned. I, when I cut my pay to one dollar a year, I, I gave my stock options to our foundations. I still every year I got wealthier, is because the stock kept going up. So uh, uh, it was not. Um, I just wanted to make. I was always being criticized for any kind of salary I took. So you know, I, I just took that off the table. The real wealth. Was being generated by creating value for the shareholders and for all the different stakeholders. And as we created more value for the shareholders, I was one of them, so I became wealthier as a result. But then again, being generous and kind and, and philanthropic—that's part of who I am as well. I'm both, and I don't—I don't see any contradiction. I don't understand why that's so hard for people to understand. We have these—we have these exaggerated uh, polarities. You're either you're either greedy and selfish or you're an altruist or you are um, you're either caring you're either saint francis or mother teresa or you're, you're adolf hitler or gordon gecko i mean it's not fair to humanity we are we are we're very complex beings and people have lots of different motivations and uh, uh, i just think it's I've always find it a silly argument in a way. I really don't even like to debate that one anymore. It's just, it always comes back to my opinion to just recognize human nature is far more complex than you give it credit for. And there's lots of different motivations and we, we are not one dimensional characters.
0: So in exploring those dimensions, I know we have a lot of uh, supporters of the Atlas Society and others that are watching us on a variety of different social media platforms. So I want to encourage all of you to take advantage of this wonderful opportunity to ask a question of John Mackey. Just type it into the comment stream, and we'll get to as many of them as um, possible. So, uh, John, I, um, I I do not take a dollar a year salary uh, as as the CEO of the Atlas Society. I do have to sh- shop at my local wonderful Whole Foods uh, here in Malibu. You um, need to
1: make more money. <laughs> I, I, I uh,
0: you know, I find other ways. I mean, I do Airbnb. I, I find other ways to, to make money, but you know, it is a nonprofit and, um, and I'm constantly, uh, you know, and trying to provide value to, to our shareholders, to our stakeholders, to our investors. Um, and also because, A lot of, like you're talking about the complexity of motivations, Um, my motivation in taking this job at the Atlas Society wasn't monetary. It was that uh, reading Ayn Rand had been really transformational um, to me and uh, I believe that Ayn Rand's fiction awakened uh, many people to to the splendor of entrepreneurship and also uh, the dangers of bureaucratic encroachment, um, and you have mentioned uh, that Atlas Shrugged is is uh, one of one of your favorite books. That you enjoyed it in part um, because of the story of heroic entrepreneurs like Dagny Taggart and Hank Reardon, Reardon who were, in your words, creating value, uh, who were purpose driven, and so in, in your reading. Would it be fair to say that some of those characters were in fact um, conscious capitalists?
1: Sure, I think it is fair to say that. I mean, it's the conscious capitalism is it's on a continuum. And what I find interesting about those Randian characters is they were very purpose-driven. They, they, and it it wasn't, they cared about money, but that wasn't what was really driving them. If you look at Henry Irwin wanted to have the best steel mills in the world. He wasn't in it just for the money. Yeah, he wanted to. He wanted to make money too, but he also wanted to have uh, innovation in steel. And Dagny Taggart wanted to operate the best railroads in in the world. And uh, you know, John Galt, you know, he invented a motor that could change the world. He just didn't want to have it stolen from him by the bureaucrats who would, you know, who would who would. would who would not let him realize the the value that he was that he was creating for the world but you know uh, the the other characters are also interesting but they are fictional characters and I just find Dagny and Henry Reardon to be interesting characters and very complex characters who had a lot of different motivations they're not simple and which makes them good characters right that's why we love them And yeah, Ayn Rand was definitely an inspiration for me. I said that publicly many times. And she was, I think, when I began to wake up from the, from my democratic socialism days, and it was really when I started Whole Foods, I had to meet a payroll. And all of a sudden, people were calling me Darth Vader, I was greedy, I was selfish. I was gone off for the dark side, trying to make money. And I thought, you know, gosh, I'm still the same person I was before but I am, yeah, I'm trying to make money because I got to pay, I got to meet a payroll. And people that are so judgmental have probably never had to meet a payroll and don't understand. Once you start a business, the reality of the real world begins to um, encroach on whatever, um, whatever idealism you might have in your, in your, in your early twenties. I mean, Renee, I was 24. Renee was 20 when we started the business. We didn't know what the heck we were doing. And uh, we could have easily failed early on. We had to, we lived in the store i mean we we paid ourselves 200 a month that's all we lived on and we saved and worked hard and uh, learned the business and uh, became successful over time
0: so um i'd love to talk a little bit about about both of these books um this is more more recent and you say that uh in, in some ways you feel like this is the is the better book it's certainly uh a a very, and I highly recommend both, but it's certainly a very practical book. What, uh, after you came out with Conscious Capitalism, did you find people were asking for more practical advice in terms of how to apply some of these principles? Yeah, that's actually
1: very perceptive, Jennifer. That's exactly what happened over time. I mean, Conscious Capitalism came out in 2013 and I lectured on it I you know I, I did a lot of speeches about it and I got a lot of questions and the entrepreneurs just wanted the business people wanted to know how to apply it how do I manage this way how do I how do I lead this way and we had two chapters on leadership in conscious capitalism I think it's chapters 13 and 14 but uh, it, we just scratched the surface and I realized that we needed to operationalize it at a deeper level and And that's what we did i mean it's it's partly practical but it's also it's i mean if you just look at the first three chapters the first one is put purpose first and how do you do that and we give exercises in each each chapter the second chapter is lead with love that's the one that uh, more people want to talk about because to them that's a contradiction they don't see how because of the way people think about business, the metaphors we use to think about business are almost all hyper competitive. Martial. Yeah, warlike or their their games or their Darwinian survival of the fittest type things. And and while competition is certainly an element of business, it's actually not what it's primarily about. Business is primarily about creating value for other people. And competition is one way we keep from being complacent because people get to because you can't coerce people unless you're the government. To, you know, to do business with you. In Whole Foods case, we're you know a supermarket company and we have lots of competition and if people don't like our prices or our selection or our quality or our service or the way our stores operate, then they're free not to shop there. And, and of course, even though we're doing $21 billion a year in sales now, I mean, most people don't shop at Whole Foods. Most people choose other supermarkets and that's the way it works, that's competition. We have to struggle every day to get better, lower our prices, improve our quality, get better service. And if you can do that, you'll get your share of the business. But it's not easy to do. And you have to work at it because your competitors constantly copy the things that you're doing good. And you have to continue to innovate. And that's how progress is made, not only in supermarket business, but across the entire economy. That's what makes capitalism so amazing is because... I like the way I've read all Deidre McCloskey's books, she's one of my heroes, and uh, uh, she she called it innovism, was a better name for capitalism than capitalism, but I think even better than innovism is innovationism, because the real essence of capitalism is creating value for other people, for your customers, and you do that through innovations. Innovations is how you stay ahead of the competition. Innovations is how the world progresses. And that's what makes capitalism so amazing is not just that it's voluntary exchange, not just as an ethical system, which it certainly is, but that it, it rewards innovation, successful innovation that, that, that gives people what they want. Nobody need, knew they needed a smartphone before they got one and nobody need, knew they needed a, an iPod before they had one. But then think about it. We, there were no smartphones 20 years ago. None, zero. None in the entire world. And now everybody walks around hypnotized by their smartphones. There's, I mean, they're, we're obsessed with them. And that didn't even exist 20 years ago. There was no Uber 20 years ago. 20 years ago, Google was just really getting cranked up. There was no Facebook. Uh, the world is, no Airbnb. It's, it's, that's capitalism, that's innovationism. It's, it's, it's the greatest system humanity's ever created. And Ayn Rand's part of her genius was she saw that clearly and she saw the, the way it could be and should be. Uh, and that's, that's the beauty of something like Galt's Gulch, right? You visit Galt's Gulch and it's kind of the utopia of business people trading and creating value for each other uh, and not having parasites uh, live off their labor, uh, so uh, yeah, I'm a big fan of Ayn Rand, She's had a big impact on me.
0: Yeah, and and to me, her her greatest contribution uh, was was her art. You know, her narrative, um, and she she talked about art as a recreation of reality according to an artist's values and presenting, you know, presenting an ideal and making it exciting and sweeping people up into the uh, into the adventure of it. Um, now, in a, in a recent debate on, on whether business should focus solely on profits, uh, you, you did mention that when you talk to certain objectivists, um, you find yourself sometimes engaged in a in straw man arguments. Now, maybe it's because you're not talking to the right objectivists. Um, so we'll hope to rectify that by having more conversations with you. But uh, what what is uh, maybe, you know, I was very generous of, of you to talk about the things that you derive a lot of benefit from in terms of Rand's literature, but where are some of the, the, the ways that you maybe diverge or, or find that it's less helpful?
1: Well, so- I've, in my experience with people and with life, um, people's weaknesses come out of their strengths. Well,
0: because I could not agree with you more. They're just always like the, the light and the shadow. They're one and the same.
1: That's right. And so, and I've read a, a, I, I've read a, at least two biographies on Ayn Rand. And uh, so I think one of the things that sort of, not emphasized enough in the narrative about Ayn Rand is that you got to understand when she lived and what she was up against. She was, I mean, socialism, communism was, she came out of Russia, communism had taken over Russia. And she comes in and she's working in Hollywood and she sees communism taking over Hollywood. And and part of her personality is she's a provocateur. She just, you know.
0: Courageous.
1: She's courageous and she's not, she's not afraid. She was not afraid to, to call a spade a spade as she saw it. And, uh, um, and I think, so she, I think part of, she reacted so strongly against um, the, the world that she found herself in the United States and plus the adopted home, the purest example of capitalism. She saw it being corrupted just as we see it being corrupted today, actually. So it's, we we need a Randian type character to arise now, um, but because I think she liked to be provocative, I think sometimes she she exaggerated or overstated things to make a point. If I watch Ayn Rand in videos, I can just see that she liked shaking people's trees, and um, and and so she would say that you take selfishness, for example. So just self, you know, I read selfishness as a virtue. I understand what she's trying to get to there that, but really what she's talking about is a type of self-interest living your life for yourself is not a crime. It's not evil. It's, it's a good thing because who understands ourselves better than we do? Uh, And who can understand our motives better than ourselves? So the the right to live for yourself is fundamentally a right, but then she makes a move just to shake people up. She calls it selfishness, but that's not really the definition of selfishness. Selfishness is a, is a regard only for the self and to the exclusion of everyone else. But you look at the characters in her novels like Reardon and Dagny Taggart, they weren't selfish. They actually cared deeply about other people. And so they were self-interested, Self-interest is good, but because she liked to provo- provoke people, she used that word selfishness. And it's not a whole lot different than Gordon Gecko saying greed is good. Well, you know, greed is not actually good, but working hard and making money is good. Um, But greed is like selfishness means you don't care about others. You just care about yourself. And greed means that you keep taking a lot more for yourself, disregarding anybody else that it's by it's, we're taking words that we're redefining words that you're never going to convince most people that selfishness is a virtue or greed is good. I understand in the capitalistic context of how, you wanna provoke people almost to say, well, you know what? It's okay to be selfish because because through voluntary exchange, the world is a better place. And it's true, it's just that we're losing the argument by trying to use those words. But Rand was trying to be provocative because that's the kind of being she seemed to be. And now I, I see the Randians and objectivists, they switch over, well, benevolence is good, but altruism is bad. And we, we get to start using these words and contexts that most people don't understand. We, we do these special definitions for them. So I just, as I've already said a couple of times, I think human beings are complex. We are selfish and we are also altruistic, we are both. We love our children, but we sometimes are mad at our children. Sometimes we make sacrifices for people and sometimes we take what we can get. We're just very complex beings that have a, a whole penelope of motivations and emotions and the fully healthy human is gonna reflect all of these things. So I always felt like Rand made a straw man argument putting selfishness as altruism because I've never met a pure altruist I have met a few people that are sociopaths, basically, that are purely selfish, and I would not want to be friends with them. Most people are combinations of the two. And a good person is both self-interested and loving. I don't see any contradiction. but I, So that's where I, diver, I, I diverge a little bit there. I just feel like um, we're not going to win the capitalistic argument by argue, arguing that selfishness is a virtue because we're never gonna convince people that's true and we're, we're doing damage trying to do so. We should just admit, Rand was a genius and a provocateur and uh, but that she wasn't perfect being and she made some mistakes and uh, like everybody else, I make plenty of mistakes too. And uh, that's the way life is. I don't know if I'm- I, Yeah,
0: I'm no, I, I, I hear you on that. I'm Probably I gonna get a
1: lot of hate mail, but that's the way no. it goes.
0: <laughs> you're, you're here at, at the Atlas Society. Um, I, I think that it's a certainly fair debate to talk about whether the choice of the word selfishness, which is pretty firmly established um, and associated with a very narrow and short-sighted self-interest as opposed to a, a longer-term self-interest. I, I do believe that Rand was uh, provocative. I do believe it's important to understand the context, including coming out of um, uh, Soviet Russia. But but I also think that uh, I, I think that she was pointing to her emphasis on self-interest. To a rather kind of revolution in uh, in the way that we approach ethics, you know, coming out of the the, trish, the Christian tradition that uh, that self sacrifice, you know, that is an ideal, and and who do we admire the most? You know, the one who sacrifices all, and I think that uh, making an ethical d- defense of self interest um, is is something that's very important in terms of the defense of
1: capitalism. I totally agree. I don't think you could self-interest, enlightened self-interest, long-term self-interest is how we make progress in the world. It's a good thing. And I really think when she talks about selfishness as a virtue, she's talking about that type of self-interest.
0: She is, yeah.
1: And and so I don't have a problem with that. I just think that it's, it's by using that language in a particular way, it is it's given the enemies of capitalism a lot of ammunition to attack us with, and that's and I don't, she didn't. I, I think
0: yeah that 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 word um, again you know is 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 debatable but I guess you know and and you and I have debated this in the past I think that perhaps she has given um, some ammunition to the enemy but the fact that she is constantly I mean here is this woman immigrant you know uh, achieved extraordinary professional success writing about female businesswomen and protagonists you know back in an age when this was absolutely unheard of and yet she is reviled, no, you know, Google doodle for Ayn Rand um, is in part- <laughs> She'd be uh, canceled
1: uh, if she lived today, make no mistake about oh, it.
0: Oh, <laughs> Yeah, um, because she hit a nerve, you know, because she really was uh, not just provocative um, and, and she was, and, and we continue to try to carry on a bit of that tradition, uh, but because she said, oh, no, no, I'm not gonna give you the moral high ground. No, 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 um, you are actually uh, wanting to usurp that in order to control other people, and uh, it's the great creators, you know, of of the world who who deserve our our admiration. So, anyway, um, I'm a huge fan,
1: but I also have uh, there's not any thinker out there that I 100% agree with, and. Uh, that's the way it is. I mean, you read books, and within, if you have intellectual integrity, you you learn what you can, and you admire the the people that have uh, the intellectuals and the 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 thinkers that have influenced me the most. I generally had disagreements with with some of the things they said, and I mean, uh, my wife and I don't agree about everything. I mean, that's the way humans are. We we see things a little differently.
0: And, and believe me, uh, John. I, I think that it's important to have open debate, to have uh, dissent, to have disagreement. And um, if I if I didn't believe that this information was So important, I wouldn't be as critical as I sometimes am of an approach that deifies Ayn Rand, that treats her as uh, infallible, that conflates the person with the ideas. Um, We absolutely think that is not the way to go at the Atlas Society. That's why we Pursue a big tent approach uh, to objectivism. So, um, so anyway, I want to get to some of our audience questions. Uh, also, wanted to, you know, the the big news, this huge news, was uh, the merger of Whole Foods with Amazon, uh, which, you know, really in the past year we we saw those those benefits um, in terms of the company probably as well as to uh, to the consumers. I mean, you know, the experience in terms of ordering from Whole Foods uh, during the lockdowns was was uh, seamless. And um, I have to think that that- it, it
1: wasn't seamless. We had a lot of problems because- Well, it was it,
0: seamless in the Grossman household, but anyway.
1: No, I mean, it's just that we went from, you know like 2% of our sales to, at the peak, I think about 28% of our sales were being in delivery and, and we had to make massive We couldn't have done it without Amazon. Make no mistake. That's what I'm
0: saying is that just, you know, thank goodness you guys had that merger.
1: Yeah. And of course that's, you know, believe it or not, it's hard to believe, but we're coming up on the fourth anniversary of that merger now. So um, there's an interesting new book out that I just read. It just came out a few weeks ago and I I instantly read it in just a few days called, um, uh, Amazon Unbound, and it's uh, it's by Brad Stone. He wrote a book uh, called uh, The Everything Store that came out I don't know back in 2012, I think. And this is kind of a continuation of that story, and it's pretty interesting. And, Of course, Whole Foods has got a part of a, at least part of a chapter is dedicated to that merger. So it's been a it's been an interesting thing. Amazon, of course, is an amazing company, and it's it's now become one of the most reviled companies in the world by the intellectual class, um, uh, because it's, you know, it doesn't, it's non-union, it's, uh, it's very disruptive. And Amazon is an incredibly innovative company. And in all the different areas, you know, Jeff Bezos is clearly a genius. And he would make a great Randy in character, by the way, uh, because Jeff is uh, so creative and he's built a culture that's highly creative and we're constantly inventing new things and innovating. And and that's very threatening to people because it disrupts things. So think about the businesses is disrupted. Um, it started out with books, but I mean, if you, now it's just not just books, it's anything you want. And from Amazon, you can pretty much, maybe not at the height of the pandemic, but you can get it in no less than two days, oftentimes just one day. And you get into that habit of just, you know, one click of, Getting something that you want immediately—that's been totally transformative. And then, transforming cloud computing with AWS—that uh, that was a huge, huge innovation that took a long time for Google and Microsoft to wake up to it. And now they're—they're they're trying to catch up, but Amazon has a pretty, pretty substantial lead. Um, they and everything they get into, Amazon—they haven't been successful at everything, but uh, the company is—is. Is, is very, very creative. And I like that about the company. I like that about Amazon. And that's one reason they've been a good partner for Whole Foods. I, I'd love to be able to tell you some of the stuff that's going to be coming out in the next few years in the grocery business that Amazon's been working on. But that old joke, I could tell you, but I'd have to kill you.
0: <laughs> in this case,
1: I could tell you, but they'd probably kill me. <laughs> so I'll, I'll better keep those secrets. You'd
0: tell me, but then you'd have to hire me um scott uh has a question um it's kind of related to amazon uh jeff bezos is he a friend of free market capitalism or is he trying to capitalize on increased government regulations and control it's kind of
1: yeah, I'm not going to answer Thanks that. John. Question. Yeah, that no, that sure. one's I'll, I'll end up being a headline somewhere, so I'm not going to say. <laughs>
0: right. That. Okay. I'm
1: not going to about uh, that. I'm not going to talk, talk about the Washington Post. Yes, politics. I don't want to talk about Amazon in general, except to say that we're happy we did the merger, and we've, Whole Foods has learned a lot.
0: Well, one of the things that I thought was interesting that happened after the the merger, you know, Amazon uh, said we wanted to raise our minimum wage for its employees to $15 an hour. Uh, great, great for employees. Great, great for the companies. Uh, to an extent, I guess, though, as you mentioned, that raised your total labor costs by, you know, 250 million or so. Um, assume as a free market return, you would not want to see federally mandated uh minimum wage and um perhaps you could talk a little bit about we already it. have a we
1: already have a, we already have a mandated minimum wage you mean a $15 Fifteen
0: yeah beyond the, the federal workforce yeah no
1: i clearly i oppose that i mean i'm you know i'm pretty libertarian i'm i'm a, yeah. i believe the market sets wages and when you go in that may not make any difference at all or very little difference in new york city or san francisco but if you do that down in Mobile, Alabama, or or Mississippi, or or some of the states that people are, you're just you're gonna you're gonna increase unemployment. You're gonna price a lot of people out of the marketplace, and that's just a, it's just a simple fact. It can be it's, the economists demonstrated over and over and over again, and. I always I always address that argument by saying, well, if why raise it to fifteen dollars? Why don't we raise it to thousand dollars an hour? Wouldn't that be great? Everybody be making thousand dollars an hour, they'd be they people be making everybody be millionaire, and the whole society would all be millionaires. That'd be so great, wouldn't it? And except, you know, then people begin to think, well, gosh, I, you know that that would be too expensive. We, yeah. an hour, in some cases, is too expensive. It's above what somebody's actually worth in the marketplace in terms of the productivity that they produce. When you raise wages artificially, we know businesses begin to substitute um, other labor saving devices. A a business like Whole Foods goes away from service to more self-service. Right. Uh, Automation. Automation. yeah, and you begin to automate to eliminate uh, labor, and uh, it means young people who aren't worth fifteen dollars an hour. Say they don't have enough productivity for it. They they've got to um, they've got to learn their jobs, and take might take a couple of years before they're they're worth more money to a business. They're oftentimes priced out of the marketplace. So we basically. Um, you can always celebrate the people that have jobs, but they ignore the fact that it causes structural unemployment for other people who aren't, who aren't actually creating $15 of economic value. And it's people that know anything about economics knows what I'm saying is true, uh, or who are running businesses know what I'm saying is true, but intellectuals don't see it that way. They just, they just see it in this morality play of good versus evil that uh, more higher pay is good and lower pay is evil it's done because people are greedy and selfish and uh, not at all it's a competitive marketplace and ultimately competition in the marketplace market process is set compensation or it should if government wouldn't intervene in it and when they intervene they set up all kinds of distortions and disruptions the market tries to work it out and it does in a variety of different ways. But one of the ways it works it out is it uses less labor because you made labor more expensive. If you make any type of thing that any input into a business more expensive, you're going to use less of it because that's the way business works. That's the way economics work. That's the way the economy works. It's it's just economics 101. And But uh, so many of our government bureaucrats and politicians never... Took economics 101, or they read a Marxist version of it,
0: and they haven't—they haven't been um, in business either because uh, they haven't
1: been meeting the payroll. <laughs> <laughs> you
0: know, uh, the the other thing is that um, you know, larger companies that maybe can make capital investments and automated uh, checkouts or, or or various other kinds of um, automation, or can even you know absorb those those higher labor costs. I mean, uh, somebody just trying to start a mom and pop store uh, on, on the corner and you're going to have a, a mandated- debt. You're absolutely right. It
1: really, it really punishes the small businesses. The larger businesses, I mean, we saw this with COVID when the government intervened so radically in the marketplace and pretty much shut down a lot of economic activities. The, the bigger corporations had the working capital to, to sustain, that loss of business As Starbucks is still going strong, but the small restaurants and small coffee shops, a lot of them couldn't sustain, they didn't have the working capital to be shut down for several months and they've gone out of business. And that's, that's a great tragedy that, that has been, that the, the harm that this has done to, to people's lives is, is, is practically immeasurable. And the stories are not being told. It's a, just a, I've I've had a lot of friends that go bankrupt in the last uh, last year. It's terrible.
0: Well, you've been living in a very um, interesting place. Uh, you've lived your whole life in Texas. You founded Whole Foods there. Um, at the you've, you've experienced this, this year of lockdowns. Uh, from both an interesting professional vantage and an interesting geographical uh, vantage. Texas, of course, was among the first states to um, lift all of the the COVID restrictions, which uh, was roundly criticized as an example of Neanderthal thinking and all kinds of predictions about surges and, and, and they were all those
1: predictions were all wrong
0: they they never you know (laughs) materialized so uh so what do you make of this john i mean is this is this politics is this uh people trying to it's
1: politics that's what i think how so want to get trump out of office and uh you know they uh People, a lot of people like to tell other people what to do and. Uh, uh, control. Control. We've never done this before. I mean.
0: Never. I mean, and we've had other pandemics. I mean, we had uh, we had the Hong Kong flu during the, the Woodstock era. I mean, 1960,
1: so we've had a number of flus. Now, this one was worse than, I mean, just by the death toll. Even if you adjust for population, it was worse than than the Hong Kong flu or the, the 1967 flus, it, but it's not nearly as bad as the 1918-1919 pandemic, where that, that was far more destructive. I mean, basically, I mean, I believe that human beings are responsible for themselves, and that people are not stupid, and that people will take the necessary precautions, but they have to get on with their lives. I don't think. You know, clearly I from the very beginning I was opposed to these lockdowns. And uh, I followed with great interest the uh, what um, libertarians like Jeffrey Tucker were writing. Oh, he
0: he was been, he's been a a leader. Um, we've had he's him been on very the show courage now.
1: he's very courageous and very inspiring to me. I I, I liked the output they were doing and made, personally made a donation to that organization, mostly because they had such courage in facing these, uh, uh, you know, standing up to the mob, basically. So, you know, I was, I'm was i so happy, Jennifer, because Whole Foods is lifted. Um, now you can shop in our stores where it's permitted, like Texas and Florida, you don't have not, to wear a mask. Not in California. Not in California, but no mask. Um, our team members, we asking them to have proof of vaccination right now. And if they do, they can be maskless. I'm, I'm maskless. I had, I had my second vaccination back in, in February. So I feel free again. Honestly, I feel I'm like, so glad. I, I feel like a year of my life was taken away from me and, uh, I wasn't very happy about it. So, yeah,
0: um, I mean, and the other thing that, uh, goes unsaid all too often, you know, um, I spent a good part of my career in nutrition. You have devoted your life, your purpose. The purpose of Whole Foods is helping people to to nourish their bodies and and uh, to to be healthier. Um, just so much, so many of the bad outcomes that we've experienced in terms of COVID is because of obesity. You know, lack of fitness. Uh, people not.
1: And that's a story that doesn't get told. You know, story that doesn't get told that. The reality is, is that, I mean, you look statistically, and this is not just across the United States, it's just that we are the most obese nation in the world. Is it? But um, I, I don't know, like uh, 80% of the of the deaths have been for people over the age of 65 and almost a phenomenal 99% have been to people that have underlying health conditions, most commonly obesity, but then also frequently type two diabetes and clogged arteries. and Compromised immune systems in general. People that are—I'm uh, not saying you couldn't get sick from COVID. A lot—I knew a lot of friends who were healthy and got sick, but they recovered. Just like you might get the flu and recover, or you might get shingles and recover. It's—it's it's a nasty disease because this virus is one that humans really hadn't built any antibodies up for, so we've had to. But in general. Um, uh, I was just reading about Uruguay was being hailed as this great nation that um, did all the right things and they were keeping COVID was being kept back. And uh, guess what, you know, I mean, viruses travel and it got in there despite all the lockdowns and, and now they've got the highest death rate in the world, which is a terrible tragedy. And for all of those preventions, it didn't stop the virus from eventually coming in. And that's the reality. And what we needed to do, in my opinion, was just take common sense precautions, but each person should be responsible for themselves and their families and do what they feel is right and best and not try to force everyone into some type of living pattern. It's a, it's a, it's a totalitarianism. We got a, we got a nice taste for a year of what it would live, be like to live in a totalitarian society.
0: Unfortunately, I mean, the totalitarians I hated it. did too.
1: I hated it. I hated this last year. Worst year of my life, without a doubt.
0: Yeah, it it was very difficult um, to maintain, you know, your sense of uh, of a benevolent universe and um, just a feeling of of hopelessness. Uh, but but also, I will say, I believe in gratitude and I believe in in uh, trying to find ways to strengthen your agency and also to. Innovating and uh, these webinars that we've had, we, we started doing them. Uh, Jeffrey Tucker was, I think, our second or third guest, and um, and so, yeah, there's there's always a way forward. So we just have two or three more minutes. Okay, uh, John, t- time always flies when um, when I speak with you. I. Uh, you know, we talked about the untold story of health and COVID. Are there any other untold things that you'd like to, to say, or, or maybe, um,
1: too broad. So you should ask me a specific question.
0: <laughs> okay. Tell, tell us about your, the next, the next one coming up after, after this next book.
1: My next book is I'm going to tell the story of Whole Foods. Uh, it's got to be told. I'll do it from. I I really a book I recommend it's probably the best business book I ever read. I just love Phil Knight's memoir on Sorry. Shoe Dog on Nike. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was such a great book, and uh, that's my goal. I want to write a book as good as Shoe Dog, and that's that's the next book. And
0: uh, working title, uh,
1: the whole story is the working title. I
0: like it. All right, so, you know, well. John, uh, I, I know I'll see you in South Dakota, but I am gonna try to get our schedules together and see you. I'm in Austin, California.
1: you say in June, Let's yeah, you know, we can connect up for lunch, with coffee yeah. sometime. We'll do it.
0: That, that would be wonderful. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for, for all that you do. And also John, if you do a store visit in Malibu. Let I actually go. haven't
1: seen that store yet. I haven't actually visited a Malibu store. Uh, but I'm waiting for, was it June 15th, you guys are gonna start opening up? I got a ton of, of friends in LA, so I'm gonna come visit here sometime in the summer. I'll get to, okay. get to I'll probably get into that Malibu tour since I've been there.
0: Great, well, uh, and uh, let's, I'll, I'll coordinate that as well. I'd love to do a book party for you, for, for this guy and, and gather some of the, the libertarians in our area.
1: I did a whole virtual book tour I actually never you know because the book came out during peak covid right so yeah. uh, doing a virtual book tour is completely different you never have to leave but uh, in reality it's very hard to sell books if you're not doing them in person that's one of my discoveries even though I did the <laughs> Joe, I did the Joe Rogan podcast and I don't know something like 10 million people uh, saw that podcast and, the, and, was, and we talked about the book but it got a it, it got a temporary spike that lasted about a day and that was it. It's, it's very hard to, to sell books virtually. That's my conclusion.
0: Well, I, I love also the narrator that you, you had for this one, the Audible version oh, is excellent.
1: I will tell you a story. That that guy um, is one of my favorite narrators from all, I listened to a lot of auto, auto, yeah. Audible books.
0: He sounds familiar.
1: Yeah, he's done, if you look at uh, his, I, he's done a ton of my favorite books he did like he the the, the da vinci code and mm. uh, several he does a lot of thriller books so they said he was available and i said he's like one of my favorite narrators so wow. i love the fact that he did it yeah very grateful
0: good i highly highly recommend so wonderful thank okay. you john okay thanks, see you Take sir care. thanks everybody Bye.
1: bye-bye